The Truth News Network. Where the truth is relative, all truths are equal. Yet some truths are more equal than others. Congratulations. You found the right truths. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And for your daily dose of fact, here's Dan Newman. Hi there. Welcome to Hump Day. For you Catholics out there, this is an amazing, important religious day. And I'll just say this. Welcome to Ash Wednesday. Hey, I'm from South Louisiana. I'm not Catholic, but I know there are millions of faithful Catholics around the world that are doing the same thing. This is the first day of Lent. What's Lent all about? It You hear about it. You other folks that really don't uh, live around a lot of people that are in Catholicism, 40 days before Easter, it's always on Tuesday. Tuesday is the end, that's Mardi Gras, the end of the um, go party, do everything, 40 days Catholics will lay something that they love down. The next day is when they buckle up and they dig into their personal relationships with God and they give something up for Lent, prayer and whatever they give up for 40 days. And then the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. It's a big deal. When you see those walking around that have the the black marks on their foreheads. They've gone, they've gone to church this morning and opened Lent with prayer and acknowledging Ash Wednesday. So the rest of you, guess what? We're on the same road. We're headed towards Easter, 40 days from today. And we're celebrating a living Savior, Resurrection happened on Easter Sunday. Now, I started the show talking about something that's very important, but it's very positive. For the rest of this show today, it's going to be tough to be positive about pretty much anything. There is so much happening around us, it's just hard to dig in and come up with any answers. But boy, we have a show full, I mean full, of information that you need to know. There's a lot happening out there, and just because it happens doesn't mean they're telling us about it. Right? Hey! Along the weighted rains have fallen hard upon the thirsty ground. I carved the way to where the wild and rushing river can be found. And like the rains, I have been carried here to where the river flows. And my knees are weak as I walk to the edge I know there is no turning back Once my feet have left the ledge And in the rush I hear a voice It's telling me it's time to take the leap of faith So here I go
me tell you a little story about that song. That's Stephen Curtis Chapman there. I'm diving in. Yesterday, top of the show, was another one of his songs. I, uh, I got a text from a friend from college. Now, folks, a friend from college for me is a long time ago. This was in 1971. <laughs> I'm old, yeah. Anyway, he is a coach. He lives in North Carolina. We went to college together. His nickname was and is Smoke. Why? He was a baseball pitcher, also a quarterback. He could throw the ball harder than anybody I ever had seen at the time. I made a mistake one time of uh, taking a catcher's mask and trying to catch some of his pitches. And I got to be honest with you, it was scary. Anyway, his nickname was Smoke Carl Anchor. And he said, hey, who did that song that you started the show with this morning? He puts his earbuds in. He plays golf almost every day. And he listens to the show. And he's playing golf. And he wants to know who Stephen Curtis Chapman is. Listen, I know a lot of you listen. And maybe it's just a break. Maybe you're looking for information. I I really don't care what you see and hear what you see when you read the, all of the stories at truthnewsnet.org, what you hear at TNN Live, it's all fact-based. Everything is based on facts. Oh, yeah, when we talk about having personal relationships with God and his son, Jesus, there are a lot of people out there that will question my saying, that's facts. But listen closely to what I'm about to say to you. It is fact. I know it's fact. Not only is God real, not only is Jesus real, he lives among us, and he lives among us by living through us. And we have a job that we were all called to do. Serve him. Serve him means, remember, those of you that have a little Bible knowledge, you remember when he was talking to Peter? And he, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, of course I do. Lord, he's number one disciple. Yeah, I love you. And he looked at him, Jesus did, and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter was kind of shocked, and he said, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus asked him one more time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I do. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what does that mean? Who are Jesus's sheep? Christians. Christians that make a commitment and believe he is the raised Savior. He died on the cross and on Easter Sunday, he was raised. And Jesus is saying, feed my sheep. What does that mean? Tell others about me. Bring them to a realization about a life living as a Christian and get them in the sheep coop, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Well, I'm one of those, and I'm thankful for that. And there are a lot of good things that go with it. We talk a little bit about it on this show, but not a lot about it. But let me tell you, it is real. Now, 
We are supposed to be living, you and I, most of you and I, in a Christian nation. And it was, regardless of what mainstream media wants to tell you, regardless of what many people in government want to tell you, our forefathers, they purposely founded this country with God front and center in all of it. It's everywhere. And of course, they try to denigrate that because what that means, and listen, this is why those on the left, many on the left, not all, but many on the left, why they push back on things to do with God, like prayer before athletic events or a player or coach kneeling on the field, honoring God. They fight. Oh, they go, they'll take you to court. They'll fire you. Had a coach fired for kneeling by himself at the middle of a football field after a game. He gets fired for doing that. And it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And, of course, the Supreme Court said he can do that. It's part of the First Amendment. They're fighting back. And though they're fighting back, this nation was and is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Isn't it interesting? When that was penned, the first sentence started with God. God's in it. One nation under God. Hmm, what does that mean? God's on the top of this. And I got to be honest with you, in my nation, in my country, God is at the top of it and will always be at the top of it. Will I, will Truth News Network and TNN Live, will we ever be called to question for that? Probably. Where would it come from? Probably from the government. May be local, it may be stated, may be federal, I don't know. But even though somebody questions things, doesn't mean those things aren't what they are perceived to be. Just because somebody tells you something's not truthful is a lie. That doesn't make it a lie. Sometimes people don't accept truths. I know you, if you, I'm not, maybe I'm not talking about you today, but at some point in your life earlier, you rejected some truth. We all have. The difference is when you're a Christian, you have an advocate. You have a way out of any of the wrongdoing that you've done. I don't care how horrible it is. There's a way out. And you know why people fight against that so much? They don't want to give up anything to serve a God. And listen, serving God, being a Christian, believing, believing the Bible, if you're going to stick to that, then you need to stick to that. How do you how do you know what to do, what not to do? You can read the Bible. Not preaching today. I'm just saying we are facing a time that this nation has never seen before or anything like it. This nation is under assault from every corner. 
everywhere, from inside, from outside, who outside, all around the world, who inside, millions of people are turning away from what this nation was founded on. And they're turning it away so that physically, mentally, and emotionally, they can seize all power from every person in this nation. Wow, that's heavy, Dan. Well, I'm open for suggestions. You don't agree with that? 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. We're going to get right to it. Before I do, I want to remind you, tomorrow's show, it is going to be unbelievable. Don't you dare miss it. Why? It's a two-hour interview with the doctor that was side-by-side with Anthony Fauci in their studies and treatment looking for vaccines for HIV back in the 90s. And then they specialized in bacterial research, vaccines after that. Dr. Judy Mikovits was his partner, and she did some research, extensive research. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of this, and then I'm going to tell you tomorrow's show. I talked to her June 20th of 2020. What was going on in June of 2020? We were just getting started in our nightmare pandemic with COVID-19 at the behest of Dr. Anthony Fauci. It will blow your mind. Almost three years ago, what she said about everything, not just to do with COVID-19, but vaccines. And she gives evidence. Evidence. She got nose to nose with Anthony Fauci The black ops came to her house in the middle of the night, took her, no warrant, locked her up, and kept her for several weeks. Couldn't talk to anybody. Not charged with anything. Never been charged with anything. She tells the story herself, and then she spends about an hour breaking it down and tells you the entire process that Anthony Fauci and the medical bureaucracy were going to do to the American people. And guess what? Almost three years later, we've gone through exactly what she said was going to happen. This show is epic. You don't dare miss it. And if you can't listen live, make sure you go and grab it. You can go to the website, truthnewsnet.org. There will be probably midday tomorrow. It'll be posted there. You'll see the beginning opener of TNN Live. And just below the first few sentences, you'll see a link to the podcast. You can click on it and listen yourself. Or you can grab it at any one of the podcast sites that you, wherever you go to get your podcast to listen. What do we have to get into today? I'm not going to Ukraine before I go to East Palestine. That's what our president did. He never went to East Palestine. 
Ohio. What happened there? That's where that horrible train wreck happened almost a month ago. Chemicals all over the place. Very caustic and dangerous chemicals. Now, you would say in a train wreck, Secretary of Transportation would be all over it, right? That would be Pete Buttigieg. Hadn't showed up. Hadn't been there just like the president hasn't been there. Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, is headed to East Palestine today. And now, our administration, they have felt like, just like the nation felt like for weeks now, they feel like they got caught with their pants down, and so now they're jumping all over it. During an interview with CBS News yesterday, Pete Buttigieg said that he should have spoken sooner about how strongly he felt about the East Palestine train derailment and the delay in speaking out publicly because he was focusing on ensuring his department, Department of Transportation, the personnel there that were on the ground, he said, were all set. So the host, Caitlin Huey, I just have to ask, she said, because it did take you a couple of days to respond publicly or several days to respond publicly to this particular incident. Do you wish you would have spoken sooner? Buttigieg responded, yes, I was focused on just making sure that our folks on the ground were all set, but could have spoken sooner about how strongly I felt about the incident. And that's a lesson learned for me. Oh, man, I made a boo-boo. I just made a little boo-boo. Listen, he didn't just make a boo-boo. It doesn't matter. It happened to the federal sector that he's supposed to be managing. The Department of Transportation, the Secretary of Transportation. He should have gone himself, if not the first day, maybe the second or third He should have been down there, even though he doesn't know what to do about fixing things, he should be down there making sure the Americans in that town were taken care of, no matter what they needed. And oh, by the way, here we are, three and a half weeks into this thing, and the President of the United States, oh, Joe Biden, every time there's any kind of disaster, he's there. Oh my gosh, I'm Joe Biden. Let me tell you about, you know, when I was a lifeguard and and these kids used to come up and rub the hair, the blonde hair on my legs. No, he did do that. (laughs) But having a president just show up when there's some kind of disaster, and this is a disaster, what scares everybody in America that the so-called experts You know, the scientists and the doctors that are there testing the air and testing the water. People can see and taste the water is all screwed up from these chemicals. And all you have to do is breathe in, and that stuff is still in the air. What is going to happen? What's going to happen to these people? I mean, you got to understand, they're like us. They live in a home. They've got children. They've got to drink water and eat food, and then they live in a house. What do you think is going to happen when down the road they want to sell that home? Oh, man, that was one that, 
you know, it was all screwed up when that horrible train wreck happened and all those chemicals got spread everywhere, in the ground, in the air, in the lakes and ponds. Fish are dying. Even foxes are dying. Chickens are dying. And the experts are saying, hey, air's okay. Hey, water's okay. And Pete Buttigieg still hasn't gone to Ohio. Now, yesterday, from Ukraine, it was announced that Biden's Environmental Protection Agency is ordered by the president to get the rail company to clean up the toxic train wreck site. Norfolk Southern is that company. And they were ordered to conduct all cleanup associated with that derailment. Company's going to be responsible for cleaning up contaminated ground, soil, and water sources, reimbursing the EPA for cleaning services provided to local residents and businesses, cover the cost for all EPA work associated with cleanup efforts, and to attend public meetings, publish information online at the EPA's discretion. This government order comes more than two weeks after that control burn, after the rail accident that happened, burning of hazardous chemicals, and doing that cast a toxic plume over the entire town while attempting to prevent a massive chain explosion of the chemicals in those train cars. The Norfolk Southern train derailment is upended the lives of East Palestine families, and EPA's order will ensure the company is held accountable for jeopardizing the health and safety of this community. That's from Michael Regan, who's the EPA administrator. By the way, he's there right now, after a couple of weeks. Let me be clear. Norfolk Southern will pay for cleaning up the mess they created and for the trauma they've inflicted on this community. Listen, when I read that, I wanted to puke. You know why? They didn't talk about the families, the pets, the animals, the damage to the homes, the private stuff. But they made sure that everybody knew, big government, oh, it's going to do it all. But he didn't mention the people other than we're going to help them clean up their stuff. And the EPA is going to make Norfolk Southern pay the bill. Do you believe that? Um, I don't. It's just another Afghanistan withdrawal for Joe Biden. Just one more and Pete Buttigieg and everybody else in his administration and a flood of illegal aliens that still come across the southern border, in many cases unabated. All this stuff in the news today, and guess what? There's not one story There's not one debacle that anybody's talking about down south. Do you think that maybe Joe Biden, instead of flying down to East Palestine, Ohio, determined to go to Ukraine instead? Do you think maybe he wanted to cast our attention away from the southern border horrors 
that are getting worse and worse and worse and make him try to look a little presidential over there. We'll get into that in a minute. Very surprising to me. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Representative Michael McCall from Texas, he took several GOP lawmakers on a trip to Ukraine where they they said they're supporting Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky. They conducted oversight of military equipment. Now, that's a big deal to me. We have been told the government has given Volodymyr Zelensky $113 billion. Who is conducting oversight of that military equipment and that money? You think somebody in Ukraine is? They may be reporting to the source where they got all this money and all this equipment? No, it's not being spent properly. It may be spent in small part properly, paying for some of the stuff. But there's no accountability. This administration doesn't have accountability for anything. And, and they don't care. It's just another $113 billion. They write a check, and you and I send the money to cover the check. McCall was joined there by Keith Self, Republican from Texas, Mac Miller, another Republican from Ohio, Daryl Issa from California, and Jake Elsey, also from Texas. The war in Ukraine has been devastating for the people of Ukraine and costly for the United States. Putin's invasion must be brought to an end, and any further aid should be directed at achieving that result on the battlefield. I appreciate Zelensky for briefing us today. That's from Congressman Max Miller. So those guys went over there. Then McCall, who's the big boss, he said this, primarily he needs the longer-range artillery, also known as ATACMS. That can go all the way into Crimea to take out the Iranian drones that are causing so many problems through Ukraine, hitting power, infrastructure, and killing innocent civilians. He also needs air-to-surface systems, including aircrafts like the F-16. Listening to that, it makes me want to puke. Nobody is managing anything. Nobody has a game plan. The only game plan that I've heard about is, hey, USA, keep sending us equipment. Now we want F-16s. They're only $80 million a copy. And do you think Vladimir Putin is just going to sit on his heels and let us bring in F-16s and give F-16 equipment to Ukrainian pilots and let them just go willy-nilly into the Soviet land that Vladimir Putin wants back so far? Do you think he's just going to sit there and let that happen? There's nobody running this. There's nobody at the helm. It's just shooting. It's like playing whack-a-moe. Something pops up, oh, a, a train wreck, bam, you whack it down. Everything's going crazy in Ukraine, bam, you give them some more money, 
and whack it down and just move on. That is the Biden administration's way to function. I'm telling you. I don't have much confidence in anything this administration is into. And Biden made a big deal on his trip over there. He marks one year of war in Ukraine. And he looked and sounded and seemed very presidential. He made a speech in Warsaw, Poland yesterday, painted the Ukraine war as a fight for freedom and democracy. And he said the world was at an inflection point where the stakes are eternal. I'll just give you a little bit of what he said if you didn't hear it. The decisions we make over the next five years or so are going to determine and shape our lives for decades to come. That's true for Americans. It's true for the people of the world, he said. And he added this, and while decisions are ours to make now, the principles and the stakes are eternal. A choice between chaos and stability, between building and destroying, between hope and fear, between democracy that lifts up the human spirit and the brutal hand of the dictator who crushes it. Let me hear the patriotic music in the background. Between nothing less than limitation and possibilities, the kind of possibilities that come with people who live not in captivity, but in freedom. Freedom. He also called it the responsibility of democracies of the world to improve lives everywhere. We need to take the strength and capacity of this coalition and apply it to lifting up the lives of people everywhere, improving health, growing prosperity, preserving the planet, building peace and security, treating everyone with dignity and respect, he said. Let me let me just interpret what that is. Hey, we're the big guys in town. Vladimir Putin is the bully. We are going to get everybody in the world to join us, and we're going to beat that little guy. Oh, and it's going to be something for the ages. And what we're doing, sending money that we take from our citizens and sending it to Europe. That's what we're doing. And all you got to do is throw money at it, and everything's going to work out. That's what he's up to. I promise you. And we are so close. I started to say the nasty word, but I'll... (laughs) Okay, I'll go ahead and say it. We are so close to pissing off Vladimir Putin to the point where he'll go nuclear. Hey, this guy, don't diminish him. Don't do what Joe Biden and these other leaders in our nation and other nations, don't do what they're doing, thinking that... He can't do what he says he can do. Don't go there. He's going to be lobbing nukes. And let me tell you this. When the first one goes, when it goes, and it may even happen, they're about to start nuclear tests again. Hadn't been any in over a decade on either side of the Atlantic Ocean. None. He's about to start doing that again. I can see a scenario where one of them just accidentally went to the wrong place when it was fired. I could see that happening. Not saying it would, but I could see a, oh, no, I'm sorry, coming from his mouth after, you know, a few cities are obliterated. 
I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. Barksdale Air Force Base is less than five miles from this studio where we're broadcasting from. There are nukes galore and bunkers out at Barksdale Air Force Base. I've seen some of the bunkers. The former chief administrative officer of my company was the Barksdale Base Air Force commander of that whole outfit. He took me on a ride to what they called the backside of Barksdale Air Force Base. And there are, I want to I started to say hundreds, but there are dozens of these bunkers, above ground bunkers, all over the backside. What's in them, Earl? That's his name. Nuclear warheads and nuclear missiles and nuclear bombs. How many are out here? He looked at me and said, I know the number, but I can't say anything about it. It's classified information. Why am I telling you this? On the big map that all the foreign leaders and dignitaries on their plans for war that involve nukes, where do they need to nuke in the United States? Of course, the first one would go to Washington, D.C. The second one, it would go to New York City. The third one, Bossier City, Louisiana, Barksdale Air Force Base. B-52s here, and they carry the bombs, nuclear bombs in the case we're talking about. So if they ever shoot a nuke our way, we'll know about it in the air. They'll do an emergency thing, warning everybody, and that second one, that's ah, gonna it's gonna kill a bunch of people. The third one, I can just say this. I will never hurt. <laughs> it's gonna happen so quick, but Barksdale Air Force Base is number three. Hey, I've got some things from people that I want you to hear today. Senator John Kennedy. God, he is a statesman, isn't he? They're up there in D.C. doing their jobs. And climate change, you got to remember he's a senator. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Senate is directed by Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York. That means they're pushing all kind of climate change stuff, and they want to do this. They want to create a platform to try to legitimize their spending trillions of dollars for climate change. So they had some doctors, specialists, climate climate doctors. I'm talking about research scientists. They had them in a Senate hearing yesterday, Senate committee hearing. John Kennedy, he confronted two of these guys, two of these doctors, I've got that coming up for you to hear. Jesse Waters is here, and he is going to probably double down on what I've said about Joe Biden's being in Ukraine. But there's another one that I really want you to hear. It's Hakeem Jeffries. He would have been the Speaker of the House if the Democrats had held their majority. And he's a bad dude. He is a bad dude. I want to play. This is from a couple of weeks ago when he was on on one of the Sunday shows. And I want you to hear what he said about the Democrats' opinion of legislation 
in this Congress. It's chilling. And Hakeem Jeffries is chilling. We have those, and we have a lot more. Don't go anywhere, folks. This is going to be a humdinger. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing the prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic PSSV shocks, so it's just gonna be that much more of a fun truck. You wanna go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're gonna wanna get your hands on one. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342. 529-8342. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. I guess that bump from Pete Moss, it's kind of applicable, weapons-grade stupidity. Oh, my gosh. I just shake my head. Uh, you know, I could put SMH by every thought I ever penned, Shake my head. I just don't understand people. I don't understand what's going on. Somebody else in your life and mine that doesn't really understand what's happening in this administration, but is all in on uh, doing something about what's going on in the world. And his name is Donald Trump. Donald Trump weighed in yesterday about Joe Biden, Ukraine, and how this administration is tackling it. World War III has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all of the warmongers and America last globalists in the deep state, the Pentagon, the State Department, and the national security industrial complex. One of the reasons I was the only president in generations who didn't start a war is that I was the only president who rejected the catastrophic advice of many of Washington's generals, bureaucrats, and the so-called diplomats who only know how to get us into conflict, but they don't know how to get us out. For decades, we've had the very same people, such as Victoria Nuland and many others just like her, obsessed with pushing Ukraine toward NATO, not to mention the State Department support for uprisings in Ukraine. These people have been seeking confrontation for a long time, much like the case in Iraq and other parts of the world. And now 
We're teetering on the brink of World War III. And a lot of people don't see it, but I see it. And I've been right about a lot of things. They all say Trump's been right about everything. None of this excuses in any way the outrageous and horrible invasion of Ukraine one year ago, which would have never happened if I was your president, not even a little chance. But it does mean that here in America, we need to get rid of the corrupt globalist establishment that has botched every major foreign policy decision for decades. And that includes President Biden, whose own people said he's never made a good decision when it comes to looking at other countries and looking at wars. We have to replace them with people who support American interests. Over our four years in the White House, we made incredible progress in putting the America last contingent aside and bringing the world to peace. And now we're going to complete the mission. The State Department, Pentagon, and national security establishment will be a very different place by the end of my administration. In fact, just into my administration, it'll be a very different place. And it'll get things done, just like I did four years ago. We never had it so good. We'll also stop the lobbyists and the big defense contractors from going in and pushing our senior military and national security officials toward conflict, only to reward them when they retire with lucrative jobs, getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Take a look at the globalist warmonger donors backing our opponents. That's because they're candidates of war. I am the president who delivers peace, and it's peace through strength. There was a reason we had no conflict. There was a reason we didn't get into wars, because other countries respected us. I entirely built all right from the beginning, rebuilt our military. It's a big reason for that. They didn't want to mess around with the United States, and now they're laughing at us. We could end the Ukraine conflict in 24 hours with the right leadership. At the end of my next four years, the warmongers and frauds and failures of the senior ranks of our government will all be gone, and we will have a new group of competent national security officials who believe in defending America's vital interests above all else. Thank you very much. Uh, that's pretty on point, don't you think? He kind of says it like it is. And it's a little different now. A little bit different now than it was back in 2016. You know, back then he was just a blowhard. He was a, uh, a, a television guy. You know, he had that television series that was very successful. Oh, yeah, he had been a builder for a little time. Yeah, he was a multi-millionaire. He built, I can't tell you how many hotels and casinos worldwide. Very successful enterprises. Yeah, he made some mistakes. He did financially. But if you get out and try something, you're not going to be guaranteed that everything you try is going to work. That's entrepreneurship. That's the American dream. You can come here. You're guaranteed if you come here, you get here legally, or you're born here, you're guaranteed by the government, you're going to get a chance to chase your dreams, whatever they are, if they're legal, of course. 
You're not guaranteed you're going to be successful. The government doesn't have that right or responsibility. But you're guaranteed if you want to try it, you can go try it. You can do anything. Only country on the planet that has that as a fundamental foundation ideal. And it works. The American people, when they're trusted, when they're empowered, when they're given openings and the ability to do those things, that's what Donald Trump was just talking about. And it's different now for him to say what you just heard him say than it was if he was saying it, which he was when he was campaigning back in 2016. The difference is he did it. He did it, and he did it in spite of the pushback that he got from even people in his own political party, the Republican Party. He was also a little different when he was campaigning. They all, everybody, when they're campaigning, they promise us this, they guarantee that, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to do away with this, we're going to stop this. And then if and when they get elected, very seldom are they uh, forthcoming in getting those things done. Almost everything Donald Trump promised us during the campaign in 2016, when he became president, he did. And he did more. The only things that he did not get done that he promised he was going to were the things that required the United States Congress to come along. So, everybody wears a title nowadays. MAGA Republicans. Super MAGA Republicans. I'm not a Republican, but let me tell you what I am. I'm a MAGA, make America great again. I'm a MAGA conservative and I'm proud of it. And I got to be honest with you, there are a lot of things about Donald Trump I don't agree with. I don't like. I don't like the way he puts people down. I don't. I wish, I wish back when he was in his um, very successful construction days around Manhattan, big projects. I wish I could have coached him then on how to talk to people, good, bad, and ugly. You know what I mean? There are ways to get stuff done that you don't have to denigrate people to get it done. There are. But then I I realized, it was pointed out to me, he grew up in Queens. And if you know anything about that part of New York, the people there, hardworking, blue-collar people, labor union people, a lot of Italian, Polish, and they're culturally who they are in their lives. And if you want to do business with them, when you want to go in and build a skyscraper or a massive uh, hotel property or whatever, and they're involved in it, they're going to be who they are. And to be successful, you got to, if you want to do things with them, you got to be just like they are. Sometimes that means talking crude and ugly. My brother, Pastor, he was really upset. He liked Donald Trump as a candidate. He liked 
what Donald Trump was going to do if he got elected, but he hated the way Donald Trump communicated with people, all of us. And he asked me to write a letter. And the letter in context was telling President Trump, we support him 100%. We're behind you all the way. But the letter contained a message to the president that there are a lot of Christians around the nation that struggle with supporting him because of this communication issue. And I sent the letter, and it was received. I have that ability when I do an email. Uh, I know when the person I sent it to opens it. And it was open. Obviously, (laughs) nothing happened from it. But as it went along in 2016, 2017, I watched what Donald Trump did. And I told my brother, I said, I get him now. He's being just as he has been in his adult life, being the president of the people, by the people, and for the people, every kind of person, top to bottom. And there are millions of Americans out there that identify with the way Donald Trump communicated. And they got him. And then he began to do everything that he told us he was going to do, and then they became all in. I'm not a MAGA Republican, but I am a MAGA conservative. And this MAGA conservative is very concerned today about what's happening over in Ukraine. And I'm really concerned because I haven't heard a plan from this president. Have you? I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend a hundred billion dollars plus just writing checks and sending it to a nation, don't you think you would have the right? Hey, can I look at the game plan? Can I make some suggestions about how to handle this? Do you think Joe Biden actually has a plan? I don't know, but I think we have the right to ask. When you look back at American history, there are certain presidents who stand out as the greatest of all time. They're in a league of their own. George Washington, the founder of our great nation. Abraham Lincoln, the president who saved our country during the Civil War, ended slavery. And Ronald Reagan, whose strong posture brought down Soviet communism. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And now, as of yesterday, the media has added a new name to that honorable list, Joe Biden. The moment he stepped foot in Ukraine, everything changed. In the blink of an eye, he went from Jimmy Carter to Abe Lincoln in the heat of the Civil War. Here is the New York Times. Since Abraham Lincoln rode to the front lines outside Washington to watch battles in northern Virginia during the Civil War, no sitting president has gotten that close to combat. Didn't Bush and Obama fly into Iraq and Afghanistan during combat operations? I'm no military historian, but those trips seem kind of dangerous. I think Biden would himself disagree with the New York Times because Biden said he's been on helicopters in Iraq that have been shot at. Let's start telling the truth. Number one, you take all the truths out, you better have helicopters ready to take those 3,000 civilians inside the green zone where I've been seven times and shot at. You better make sure you have protection for them or let them die. 
Yeah, he's been shot at in the green zone. Ukraine was nothing for Joe. And Biden's Ukraine visit has already taken on a life of its own. Rachel Maddow said Biden charged up Hamburger Hill. It's a surprise and an astonishing thing for us to see and for people in Ukraine to see. I mean, at base level, this is an active war zone in a part of that country that gets hit by Russian missiles all the time. Seeing the American president there walking the streets of Kyiv while air raid sirens literally sounded in that moment about possible incoming fire from Russia. It's just not something you ever expect to see. It has to be. There was no incoming fire from Russia. We told the Russians ahead of time Biden was going to go so Russia wouldn't make any mistakes. So Biden got the pictures he wanted. The symbol of an American president in Ukraine has been immortalized. Biden announced another half billion also. Bringing the grand total to over $100 billion in the last year. Remember Biden and the Democrats fought like crazy to stop $2 billion for going to our border wall but just poured $100 billion into securing Ukraine's border. No love for East Palestine, Ohio, either. The president being in Ukraine today, you know, did that surprise you? Absolutely. That was the biggest slap in the face. That tells you right now he doesn't care about us. I found that out this morning in one of the briefings that he was in the Ukraine giving millions of dollars away to people over there, not to us, and I'm furious. So Biden's heart is elsewhere. Joe Biden has fallen in love with Ukraine. The Americans stand with you and the world stands with you. Kiev has captured a part of my heart, I must say. Has Joe ever said that about the people of Ohio? And then Joe flew to Poland where he announced he has a new energy plan, not an energy plan for America. Joe's got a plan for Poland. We're also launching a new strategic partnership with plans to build nuclear power plants and bolster Poland's energy security for generations to come. So let me get this straight. Biden's going to build nuclear power plants in Poland, but we aren't allowed to build nuclear power plants here at home. Biden's forcing windmills on us that kill whales and ruin my view, but Poland gets clean nuclear energy with no emissions. Well, we'd be way better off with nuclear power plants, but nope, those are for Poland. And while Biden's trotting across Europe, giving money to Ukraine and pushing power plants in Poland, Putin's up against the wall. So Putin responded to Biden's trip and suspended the nuclear weapons treaty with the United States. So Putin may start testing nuclear weapons again. Does Biden have a handle on where this is headed? Moscow just summoned the U.S. ambassador to talk about Joe Biden's, quote, aggressive actions. And Putin just put his navy in the Black Sea on high alert. Oh, and by the way, China's President Xi is visiting Moscow shortly. So do you feel like the Biden administration has a plan here? Does the United States support where this thing is headed? Do you trust Joe Biden to manage the situation? Biden actually got heckled in Washington, D.C., of all places, by anti-war protesters before he left for Europe. Watch. President Biden, I hate to bother you. We need to end this war in Ukraine. We need to push the negotiations. I hate to bother you, but people are dying. And we need to end and lift the blockade in Cuba. Please, 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 
How symbolic is it Biden is right underneath a picture of a lamb? So is the Biden administration clicking on all cylinders? <laughs> Joe's entourage fell down the stairs of Air Force One in Warsaw. I mean, what is with everybody in the Biden administration falling down the stairs all of the time? Well, we hope they're okay. Oh, also, uh, there's this. So you're supposed to stay on the carpet, Mr. President. So I hope this Ukraine situation ends well, because it doesn't look like the president is in charge. (laughs) That last segment where uh, you heard the music, that was when Biden arrived in Poland. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, They had a great big military presence in a big square. It was military officers, I think, probably some enlisted men, too. But they were lined up in a big square, and there was a red carpet that went along inside of the line that they were on. And the president of Poland and our president were to walk along that carpet and observing these military members and being thankful for who they are, kind of giving them a pat on the back. You know, the president of the greatest country on the planet is visiting, so they were going to do that. Joe didn't even stay on the carpet. That's what he was talking about. There is no plan, Jesse. (laughs) There is no plan. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to turn this nation into a climate mecca where everybody's going to want to come and be a part of it. We are so powerful, so educated. We can affect the weather. I mean, just think about it. When you control the weather, you can control anything. You can control everything because you can you can make it bad when you want it bad, wherever you want it bad. You can make it good wherever you want it good. And like you just heard Jesse said, Joe's going to build nuclear power plants over there, none over here. What the heck is going on? We're all in for climate. We're going to fix it. You're going to hear that next. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. He has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? 
It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Get not only the news, but the truth in the news. From TNN, the Truth News Network. Dan Newman. So this administration is all on everything that is important to the United States and our people. But at the top of the heap are the climatologists, the climate change sycophants, the people that think we can manipulate the weather anytime we want it, any way we want it, any way and where we think it's applicable. That's what we can, we can do. We got it figured out. But here's the plan. To get everything straightened out, we've got to spend money. How much do we need to spend? Where do we need to spend it? Well, several of these, a couple of these uh, scientists, doctors, very learned climatologists, people that have great backgrounds in different types of business. So they, it makes them, uh, it makes them learned, gives them the ability to direct what the Biden administration does regarding climate change. And so a couple of them were sitting before Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana in a hearing. And of course, the other senators were there that are on the committee, Democrats and Republicans. Just listen for yourself. Dr. Letterman, how long have you been studying climate change and possible solutions? Studying? Well, you know, I, I was the head of risk management at Goldman Sachs. I didn't worry too much about climate change at that years, time. If you would, Doc. How many years? Yes. Let's say 15. All right. How about you, Dr. Holtz Eakin? Uh, about uh, 25. Okay. Um, Dr. Litterman, how much will it cost to make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050? I don't know, sir. So you're advocating we do these things, but you don't know the ultimate cost? Yes, absolutely. I, I, I certainly don't know the ultimate cost, and it's very uncertain. It depends on innovations. It depends on... I, I understand. I'm just trying to uh, lay a foundation here to understand your expert testimony. Dr. Holtzikin, do you know how much it will cost to make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050? Depends how you do it. If we do it all on the federal budget with directed things, it'll be Public super expensive. Public and private expensive. dollars. Sorry? Public and private dollars. It's, all, it's ultimately private dollars anyway. Yeah, I agree. So yeah. how much? You're going to look at $50 trillion. $50 trillion. Yeah. Okay, thank you. If we make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050 by spending $50 trillion, which you're advocating, I gather. No. Okay. Then strike that last part. I'm wrong. You're not advocating. You're advocating something. Um, if you're going to do something, do if, something smart. That's what I advocated. Okay. If we spend $50 trillion to make the United States of America carbon neutral by 2050. How much will that lower world temperatures? 
I can't ask that because we don't know what China and India and the rest of the globe has done. Okay. Have you had heard anybody from the Biden administration say how much it will lower world temperatures? No. Does anybody know how much it will lower world temperatures? No? No one can know for sure. Okay. Dr. Litterman. Yes. If we spend $50 trillion or however much it takes to make the United States carbon neutral by 2050, how much will it lower world temperatures? Senator, that depends on the rest of the world. We have to work with the rest of the world. We're in this together. Well, it's what one if, world. If, we can't what build if, a wall around if, the United what States if, and say... What if, what if we spend $50 trillion, Europe cooperates, most Western democracies cooperate, but India and China don't. How much will our $50 trillion lower world temperature? We're in this together, Senator. We how have to get the world to you, work together. How much? I, understand, I get that. Okay. How much will lower world temperatures? If China and India do not help. Yes. I don't know. Dr. Litterman, do, do you believe, based on your observation, you seem to be a very intelligent, well-informed man, based on your observation of Dr. Chi, of uh, uh, Mr. Xi Jinping, that Mr. Xi Jinping will ever do anything that is uh, inconsistent with China's best interests in the name of global climate change? I understand that China has a federal carbon tax. Okay. Yeah, but, but faced with a policy, okay, where China does something that's not in its best interests, but it does it because it's in the global best interest. Do you think President Xi would do that? I think that President Xi understands that we have to work together to address this global problem. Yes, I do. And it will be in the best interest of China to work with the United States to address this problem. So you think problem. the answer is yes? I think the answer is that it's in China's best interest to work with the rest of the world to address this problem, as it is in the United States' you, best interest believe, to work with the rest of the world to believe, address this problem, you to believe, create harmonized incentives to reduce Do you believe emissions. in the tooth fairy? No, sir. Do you believe in the Easter bunny? <laughs> no, sir. You believe that Jimmy Hoffa died of natural causes? No, sir. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Do you think Senator Kennedy made his point with those quote-unquote climate experts? They could have gotten Al Gore to come in and, you know, weigh in on the facts of the matter. I mean, it's all the same. Listen, maybe $50 trillion would help the climate. Did you ever hear him give a a reduction in the Earth's temperature? No, they don't want to talk about it publicly. You know why? They base all of this climate stuff, climate change, Green New Deal. Everything is based on a desire to reduce the average temperature on the planet by the end of the century by one and a half degrees. Now, you just heard those quote-unquote experts tell us that by 2050, you know, we can get the United States energy independent. No more fossil fuel reliance. But to get to 2050 and to get that done, it'll only cost $50 trillion. We think. 
That's how this administration rolls. And as you heard at the end of that, the questions that the senator asked about the tooth fairy (laughs) and Jimmy Hoffa, oh my gosh, it is so in the faces of Americans. And yet we have this ruling class, wannabe class, at the top of everything that are demanding the Americans give more. And like we're going to stop the two biggest polluters on the planet, India and China, do you think they're into climate change and green new energy? Do you know that in China they are building new coal plants? You know, that evil, horrible fossil fuel coal They're building at least one a week because their nation is growing so fast. Now, wait a minute. Oh, these guys say we got to have China board. And the second one is India. And every time we try to sit down and talk about environmental issues with the leaders in India, they basically give us the middle finger. They're busy trying to feed each other. (laughs) And they're not even thinking about spending the climate globalist predictions of what it's going to take to get us down to not relying on fossil fuel. Yeah, I believe we have a better chance that the Easter Bunny is real than for this panacea to play out by 2050. You know why? We have to have fossil fuel to be able to keep our noses above the water regarding energy. I'm sorry. Green energy, just because it's clean, is a good thing. But the so-called experts that I've talked to two years ago when we were doing you know, the solar energy panels, and we still are, and the wind turbines, and we still are, just the solar energy panels to fuel the nation through solar energy. No carbon, no gas, no oil, but just solar energy. Every square inch of American land from the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean would have to be covered by the world's best and most productive solar panels. And then it would be limited. We would have to have all of the things that we fuel now, you know, like our cars and operating businesses. That would have to be reduced. The energy demands is what that means by about 20%. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But let me do this. Let me segue to something that is happening. You remember through all of the uh, pandemic stuff, if you were coming to this show regularly, you heard us talk about a lot of things that we just didn't think smelled right. And a lot of Americans thought it didn't smell right. There were millions of Americans that went all in and swallowed the Kool-Aid. And those people at Jonestown, those 900 people at Jonestown, they thought they were doing the right thing when they drank the Kool-Aid. 
and they all died. Well, our healthcare system has leadership that is asking and has been asking now for three years for Americans to drink the Kool-Aid, the vaccine Kool-Aid. If you want to get a real version of exactly what happened, tomorrow's show, Dr. Judy Mikovits, an interview she did with TNN Live May the 20th, 2020. And she predicted everything that has happened on Dr. Anthony Fauci and other medical bureaucrats. She predicted. You'll hear it tomorrow in detail. I mean, everything like she even masking, lockdowns. She talked about all of that. That's the game plan that they said anytime we can create in the minds of our people that there is a necessity for lockdowns, we can control them all. But there's something happening now. On October 20th of 2022, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, they voted to add unlicensed COVID-19 shots to the U.S. childhood, adolescent, and adult vaccine schedules. You know, the ones you got to get. February 9th this year, the CDC accepted the panel's recommendation and they officially added a primary series of those mRNA COVID vaccines to its routine immunization schedules for children and adults, plus a bivalent booster. While the addition of the COVID shots to the recommended VAX schedule doesn't make the jabs mandatory for school attendance, their inclusion allows states and local jurisdictions to make them mandatory. Vaccine on the childhood vaccination schedule They're typically covered under the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the NVICP. But the COVID shot isn't included. Instead, the jab is going to remain covered by the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, which is even more restrictive and limited in terms of compensation than the NVICP. According to Dr. Rochelle Walensky at the CDC, the COVID jab was added to the childhood VAC schedule because it was the only way to ensure underinsured children would have access to it. The real reason is because it's the only way for drug makers to be indemnified against financial liability for injuries and deaths. What am I talking about? I tell you this almost every day. You got a, a question about anything going on? Follow the money. Follow the money, the big ones, Pfizer, Moderna, all those massive drug companies that are involved in everything to do with COVID-19. I mean, testing strips. You can go to CVS or Walgreens, you know, the drug stores of America now today. They have all kinds of things that go along to help through the process of COVID-19 infections, don't they? That all comes from somewhere, and somebody's doing it to make money. Now, what does this say? What did this say? Why why did they make it mandatory 
for kids, vaccinations. Because it's the only way for drug makers to be indemnified against financial liability for injuries and deaths caused by the vaccines. What does it mean? The government. The government says, you got to do it. It's on the schedule. The bottom line is, folks, almost all of the vaccines that have been put in anybody's arms during the pandemic, it's paid for by the federal government. You realize that? Billions of dollars of profit in the last three years based upon COVID-19 vaccines, selling them to the government. And the government gives them away. It doesn't cost you anything, right? But more importantly, we have a list of people in the hundreds of thousands that have had horrible adverse reactions from vaccines. And we shared that with you all through the pandemic. Not going to do it now. You've heard them all. Those people can't sue the drug manufacturers. There's no recourse against Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson for those vaccines that have caused all these horrible things to happen. In some cases, many cases, death. You know why? Now, all these vaccines have been put on the mandatory recognized, you got to do, you got to get these scheduled. And the reason it's put that way is to keep you from being able to sue the drug companies if your kid dies from a vaccine or you die or get deathly sick or you have a heart attack. Medical bureaucracy and money, that's what's driving this, folks. And it gets worse. Almost every day it gets worse. Food and Drug Administration FDA Commissioner Dr. Robert Califf, Califf, I don't know how he pronounces it, I guess Califf, he hopes to expand the FDA, its role in combating what he calls misinformation related to health, particularly on the topic of, you know, vaccines and COVID-19. The FDA approved a drug label for OxyContin, which suggested the drug was safe and non-addictive. This claim was used in the drug's marketing campaigns and has been blamed in part for our opioid crisis. We're now in a 24-7 sea of information with no user guide for people out there in society, he said. So this requires us to change the way we communicate. This misinformation crackdown, it's already underway at the FDA. They're making online posts, YouTube videos, Twitter threads, addressing their perceived medical misinformation. What that means, if you disagree with the jabs and you want to talk to somebody publicly about your disagreement, they want to come in and control what you're doing and saying about it all. Caliph called for the effort to be expanded, citing a perceived rise in health misinformation surrounding the virus and the vaccines. 
We're now in a 24C of information, no user guide. We got to fix that. This requires us to change the way we communicate. But the agency itself has been accused of engaging in health misinformation, including that approval I mentioned above of an OxyContin label that suggests the drug's slow-release formula made it less addictive. Now, that's according to OxyContin's manufacturer, Purdue Pharma, back in 2007 in a plea deal agreement. Why'd they need that? Because OxyContin was killing people. Delayed absorption as provided by OxyContin labels is believed to reduce the abuse liability of a drug. That's what they had on the approved label, according to that plea bargain. The claim was featured in the drug's marketing, touted by pharmaceutical salespeople, some of whom claimed the drug didn't have the same euphoria effect of other painkillers and had less potential for abuse. The drug claimed to provide pain relief for 12 hours, but its effects reportedly lasted only half that long in some cases. Patients suffered from narcotic withdrawal, intense cravings for the drug, cycles of agony, and relief. Curtis Wright, who was involved in the approval of the drug's label, he began working for Purdue Pharma back in 1998. Despite its alleged role in the OxyContin scandal, the FDA is now focusing its attention on combating health misinformation. Now, what's the big deal about OxyContin? Because the FDA approved it, and it was approved, that indemnified Purdue Pharma from having any liability for any of the stuff, the adverse reactions to OxyContin. Califf said this, anyone who thinks the government's going to solve this problem alone is deluding themselves. We need a vast network of knowledgeable people who devote part of their day to combating misinformation. None of this should surprise you. Now they are getting Google into it. Google's algorithms prioritize sources it perceives as credible, including the FDA meaning that its articles tend to appear high up in search results about health topics like, you know, vaccines. News outlets, you know, the left, the mainstream media, they're all in. They'll echo the FDA's message to their big audiences, often communicating their message in a more simple and understandable language. Callis suggested the nearly all recent COVID-19 deaths were preventable and were caused by misinformation steering people away from vaccines and treatments. There it is, folks. They think you and I, we live in a vacuum, and the only thing we allow into that vacuum regarding information, it comes from Joe Biden and everybody in the administration. And anybody that steps outside that vacuum, if you say anything that doesn't, fit with the company line, it's misinformation. Now, this is nuts. This guy is high up in the FDA, CDC. Almost no one should be dying of COVID in the U.S. today, he said, noting that the government's distribution of free vaccines and antiviral medications 
People who are denying themselves that opportunity are dying because they're misinformed. Many health folks have backpedaled on their enthusiasm for the COVID, its effectiveness, or have endorsed positions once considered misinformation. Who might that be? Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci. I am the science god, Fauci. He recently acknowledged that the COVID-19 vaccine never had a realistic chance of getting the virus under control. Hmm. Remember former COVID-19 response coordinator, Dr. Deborah Burks? She said the vaccines were overplayed and did not protect against COVID-19 infection. And CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky said in August the vaccine couldn't stop the transmission of the virus. Government leaders have acknowledged on numerous other occasions that ideas they once labeled COVID-19 misinformation were actually true. And oh, by the way, efforts to get the FDA to respond to this stuff Uh, FDA wouldn't even answer it. (laughs) Again, don't miss the show tomorrow with Dr. Judy Mikovits. I I promise you, those of you that are regulars here and have been here with us for the last four years, um, you've heard me often talk about and present facts, actual facts about the masks don't work, the vaccines are not working, lots of adverse reactions, and you've questioned, you know, Newman's just in the tank. He's a hardcore conservative. He's one of those MAGA Republicans. And so he's going to go against everything to do with medicine. Listen, folks, my entire life, my early life especially, I struggled. I was born with three kidneys Didn't know I had them until five when I started having problems. Two of the kidneys had died. I had one surgery to try to fix that. Two years later, they decided to take one of the two kidneys that when they did the testing, now this is in 1960, they couldn't tell if it was dead, so they tried to revive it over a year. Then they went in to take out the bad one. When they got in there, the other one was dead too. They took them out. I'm, I'm By this time, I'm a seven-year-old. Do you know what that kind of stuff does to a seven-year-old? I should have died. And they said the reason I didn't die was a miracle. Because in South Louisiana in 1960, I mean, doing a lot of surgeries was almost like butchering a, 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 a beef. Thank God it wasn't that bad. And I'm here today, a lot of years later. But I believe in medicine. I always have. In fact, my 32-year-old company, we wouldn't exist without medicine. Our business is U.S.-wide dealing with parts of medicine. But guess what's happening now? That story I just told you, it even gets worse with this one. The Biden administration is about to sign our nation to a legally binding accord with the World Health Organization, the WHO. 
That agreement is going to give the Geneva-based United Nations Health Agency the authority to dictate our nation's policies during a declared pandemic. Despite widespread criticism of the WHO's response to the COVID pandemic, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra, Health and Human Services Secretary, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra, you would think this was a medical professional that had years of expertise. He's a lawyer. He was the Attorney General of California. He has no medical expertise. He joined with the Director General, Tedros, WHO Director, in September to announce the U.S.-WHO Strategic Dialogue. Together, they came up with a platform to maximize the long-standing U.S.-WHO partnership and to protect and promote the health of all people around the globe, including the American people. Now, these discussions and others that we don't know about, it spawned a zero draft of a pandemic treaty. It was published the first of this month. And they're now looking for ratification by all 194 WHO member countries. A meeting of their intergovernmental negotiating body is scheduled for five days from now to work out the final terms, which every member will then sign. Written under the banner of the world together equitably, this zero draft grants the WHO exclusive and total power to declare and manage a global pandemic emergency. Now, listen to this. What are the outcomes of that? Once it's declared a health emergency, All of the signatories, including us, by the way, would submit to the authority of the WHO regarding treatments, government regulations like lockdowns and vaccine mandates, global supply chains, and monitoring the surveillance of populations. They want to see, obviously, a centralized vaccine and medication-based response and a very restrictive response in terms of controlling the populations of 194 nations. They would get to decide what is a health emergency. They're putting in place a surveillance mechanism that will ensure that there are potential emergencies to declare. Now, there's two parts to this. Coinciding with an initiative by the World Health Assembly to create new global pandemic regulations that would also supersede the laws of member states, the ones that sign up. This World Health Assembly is the rulemaking body of the WHO comprised of representatives from the member states. Both initiatives are fatally dangerous. Now, this came from Francis Boyle. We've, um, we've had him on the show, as a matter of fact. He's professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law. Either one or both would set up a worldwide medical police state under the control of the WHO. And a particular WHO director, 
General Tedros. If either one or both of these go through, Tedros or his successor will be able to issue orders that will go all the way down the pipe to your primary care physician. If these rules, if they go through as currently drafted, doctors are already saying they're going to be told what they are allowed to give a patient and what are prohibited from giving a patient whenever the WHO declares a public health emergency. So they can tell you you're getting remdesivir. And remdesivir, we find out, it was mandatory. Anthony Fauci put it on the accepted drugs to treat COVID-19 patients in the hospital, remdesivir. Found out it was killing kidneys, destroying kidneys. So they took it out of circulation for that purpose. Remdesivir, they couldn't make you take it. But you can't have hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. And I'm raising my hand in my family. We have a bunch of people that they went through the Dr. Anthony Fauci treatments for COVID-19. They didn't work. They took hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and they're doing fine. They got through it quickly. What they're also saying is they believe in equity which means everybody in the world gets vaccinated, whether or not you need it, whether or not you're already immune. Forget about the science that says now, they tell us, we find out, that if you don't get vaccinated, your natural immunity, if you've gotten COVID-19, your natural immunity is more effective at protecting you for the rest of your life than any vaccines. They're not out there trumpeting that information, are they? And then your medical treatments. This agreement would require member nations to monitor and regulate against substandard and falsified pandemic-related products. In other words, you couldn't do anything, couldn't say anything, couldn't receive anything unless the WHO said it was okay. Now, based on previous WHO and Biden policies together, this would likely include forcing us to take newly developed vaccines while preventing our doctors from prescribing non-vaccine treatments or medications. Now, some of you out there are very astute. I know when I started this, you said, oh, no, if this is a treaty, the Senate has got to pass it, right? It's a treaty. It always, when there's a treaty, a president can't do it unilaterally. Well, in that regard, for those of you that feel we should stick to that, there is a real question surrounding this accord, and it's whether the Biden administration can bind us to treaties and agreements without Senate consent, which is required in that old rag thing, you know, the U.S. Constitution. This zero draft concedes that, per international law, treaties between countries must be ratified by national legislatures, thus respecting the right of their citizens to consent. However, the draft of this thing, it also includes a clause that the accord will go into effect on a provisional basis 
as soon as it's signed by delegates to the WHO and would therefore be legally binding on members without being ratified by legislatures. Whoever drafted this clause knew as much about U.S. constitutional law and international law as our constitutional attorneys did and deliberately drafted to circumvent the power of the U.S. Senate to give its advice and consent to these treaties to provisionally bring it into force immediately upon signature. In addition, the Biden administration is going to take the position that this is an international executive agreement that the president can conclude of his own accord with no approval by Congress and is binding on the USA, including every state, every local democratically elected official, governor, attorney general, and health officials. And your thought was, well, it'll never pass muster in the Supreme Court. It'll be appealed. Well, guess what? There are several Supreme Court decisions that just may support the Biden administration's position. They include State of Missouri v. Holland, in which the Supreme Court ruled that treaties supersede state laws, while other decisions, like United States v. Belmont, ruled that executive agreements without Senate consent can be legally binding with the force of treaties. Now, there's some parallels between the WHO Pandemic Accord and a recent Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development Global Tax Agreement, which the Biden administration signed on to, although Republicans say has no path forward for legislative approval. In this agreement, punitive terms are built in that allow foreign countries to punish American companies if the deal isn't ratified by the United States. Administration officials are attempting to appeal to international organizations to impose policies that have been rejected by American voters. Under the U.S. Constitution, health care doesn't fall under the authority of the federal government. It's the domain of the states. Now, Biden found this to be an unwelcome impediment to his attempt to impose vaccine and mask mandates on Americans when courts ruled that federal agencies didn't have the power to do it. To circumvent that, they went to the WHO for either the regulations or the treaty to get around domestic opposition. According to this zero draft, signatories would agree to strengthen the capacity and performance of national regulatory authorities and increase the harmonization of regulatory requirements at the international and regional level. They will also implement a whole-of-government and whole-of-society approach at the national level that will include national governments, local governments, and private companies. This zero draft states that the new accord is necessary because of the catastrophic failure of the international community in showing solidarity and equity in response to the COVID-19 pandemic.
How do you feel about that? <laughs> We've barked for four years about what the government wants, what the U.S. government wants. They want. They want total control of everything at the federal level. While I was bringing that information to you, I got a text. A text from Eddie. Eddie said, it's all about wealth distribution. Take from Peter and give to Paul. I guess basically what Eddie's saying, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. So what the heck are we going to do? I don't know. But what we can do is give you facts, give you suggestions when we have them, and then ask you to get with your local, state, and federal representatives. I'm talking about mayors. I'm talking about um, police chiefs, doctors, state representatives, especially those from the area where you live at the federal level, your congressmen, your senators, U.S. senators. This has got to be stopped. And we're very, very unsuccessful at stopping them. But you know what their big thing is? If they get it started, it's going to be virtually impossible for the people. You know, us, we the people, it's going to be impossible to turn the spigot off. How long would it take to get it kicked out if the Supreme Court was effective doing it and would actually do it? And then it would be enforced. Remember, the Supreme Court on several issues during the Biden's two years so far, they've ruled against the administration and the things that they were ruled against that the Biden administration was doing, Biden just thumbed his nose at them and they're still moving forward. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. We do not let this genie, this WHO agreement, we cannot let it get out of the bottle, folks. We just can't do it. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Yo. 
Some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. The only thing we can do here, folks, is bring you information. As long as we can, we're going to be doing that. Here's one that may just be a little good. Global Disinformation Index, GDI, which is a group funded by George Soros, has lost financial support from the National Endowment for Democracy for its role in demonetizing conservative news outlets. Given our commitment to avoid the perception that NED is engaged in any work domestically, directly or indirectly, we no longer provide financial support to GDI. And that's from NEDS, the National Endowment for Democracy, the CEO, Damon Wilson. He said, as set forth in our Articles of Incorporation in the NED Act, our mandate is to work around the world and not just in the U.S., he explained. We have strict policies and practices in place so that NED and the work we fund remains internationally focused, ensuring the endowment doesn't become involved in domestic politics. He uh, mentioned that the organization only recently became aware that GDI, which is the Global Disinformation Index, was funded by a different donor that focused on specific U.S. media outlets. Now, GOP House Conference Chair Elise Stefanik was instrumental in ensuring that GDI no longer would get that money from NED. Stefanik, who was on the board of NED, has been concerned about the targeting of conservative voices and media, especially GDI seeking to demonetize them. The decision to defund GDI is significant. It's, it's a big deal because it's funded by the State Department. Financial documents show that NED has received over $300 million from the agency since Joe Biden's been president. $300 million. Critics say State Department's funding of NED and its prior relationship to GDI was a government grant-making body despite its legal status as a not-for-profit. The State Department shouldn't be funding woke organizations who are seeking to censor and demonetize conservative outlets. House Republicans are going to assert, they tell us, their oversight over the State Department's funding of GDI and these other groups. Documents additionally show that NED granted 230000 in 2020 to the AN Foundation, GDI's group, under the name Disinformation Index Foundation. The index has been a key component of the establishment's attack on conservative news outlets 
by reducing their advertising revenue. GDI, they maintain a media blacklist. It's known as the Dynamic Exclusion List, which flags 39 conservative news outlets. Who might they be? Well, I think you know it. It includes Breitbart News, The Blaze, The Washington Times, Judicial Watch, MRC TV, Real Clear Politics, The Daily Wire, The Washington Examiner, and of course Fox News. They labeled them all as false and misleading. The list is used by the establishment to discredit conservative news organizations, reduce their ad revenue, and ultimately deplatform them. You know, just make them go away. Wow. So, we're running out of time. Dad Gummit, I, I didn't even get to Hakeem Jeffries. I wanted you to hear. Let's see how much time we got. Uh, let me take a look. Let me see how this, how long this conversation is with Jeffries. We may have time to get it in. Hold on, it'll just take a second. Yeah, we do. Hakeem Jeffries. He would have been the House Speaker. He's a Democrat. A very um, uh, dark person. When you look in his eyes, he just he just seems evil. And if he was sitting in front of me, I would say that. And he's got a lot of stuff in his past that proved that. So he became the minority leader, the Democrat leader in the House, but he's the minority leader in the House. And Kevin McCarthy won. Shortly after that was confirmed, McCarthy won, and the House started doing business. Hakeem Jeffries was on television, one of the news shows, I forget which one, and they were asking him, what did Kevin McCarthy do? What did he give up to get the MAGA Republicans on board? And what was going to happen? Because, you know, Hakeem Jeffries said, if they worked out a deal, Republicans, Kevin McCarthy was going to have to give up everything these MAGA, ultra-MAGA Republicans wanted. And this news guy, he wanted to know what that was. Let me start with your take on the concessions Kevin McCarthy made in order to gain the speakership. Um, what are the ones that concern you the most about the functionality of the House? Well, our general concern uh, is that the dysfunction that was historic that we saw this week uh, is not at an end. It's just the beginning. And while the Congress was held captive this particular time, uh, what is going to be a problem is if the American people will be held captive over the next two years to the extreme MAGA Republican agenda that apparently has been negotiated into the House rules and the functioning of the Congress. That's going to undermine the health, the safety, and the well-being of the American people. It may undermine national security and a robust defense and undermine our ability to actually advance an agenda that is anchored in kitchen table pocketbook issues and not extremism. You know, one of the things that I've noticed in Washington, no matter when, when an institution gets weakened, even when the party changes hands, it's sometimes hard to re-strengthen that institution. Are you concerned that should you have the good fortune uh, of having uh, the ability to be speaker, that it's actually going to be hard to restore some of these powers? 
No, what our concern right now is on getting things done for everyday Americans and tackling the business that is in front of us, making sure that we have a farm bill that makes sense for the American people, making sure that we actually can fund a government that invests uh, in economic opportunity, invests in the health and the public safety of the American people, making sure that we don't default on our debt for the first time in American history, making sure that we reauthorize important agencies like the FAA so we can strengthen air travel in these country in this country. This uh, is the agenda that we're going to focus on as Democrats, lower cost, better paying jobs, American uh, jobs yeah. that can be brought back to this country. And I'm very, very troubled uh, by the way in which the Congress has started. And hopefully that doesn't pretend what's to come. Again, that was just days after it was decided who was going to control the House Speaker, who was going to control the Republican Party. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Do not forget Dr. Judy Mikevitz here. It's a very lengthy and detailed conversation that you don't want to miss. It happened May the 20th of 2020 before the pandemic really broke out. And she gave us exactly was what was going to happen on Dr. Fauci's watch, because she knows. She knows him very, very well. They worked together, and uh, he almost destroyed her life and her family. The next time we talk live will be from Israel. That's right. Soon as the show is over today, I'm headed to Israel. And so we will be there Friday, same time, 9 to 11 a.m. at TNN Live. You guys have a great day. Enjoy and learn from Dr. Judy Mikovits tomorrow. We'll talk live on Friday. We'll see you then. <laughs>